one, and then we saw one on the video. And we're going to look at those two stories. We're going to kind of go back and forth between the two. And the reason we're going to look at both is because both men were changed by encountering Jesus. And I want to ask you, is that why you're here this morning? I want it to be true for you and for me that when we gather together on Sundays, when we, when we connect with the Lord throughout the week, when we spend time reading God's word, that we come to meet and be changed by Jesus. My name is Derek. By the way, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you're with us. Grab your Bible. Pastor Aaron already told you the passage. Open to Mark chapter 1. We're going to actually back up just a couple verses for a minute. I want to start at verse 35. Mark chapter 1. Verse 35, we're in a series of messages we've called God-Man, because we want to know Jesus, the God-Man, more and more. So before we're starting today, really our new passage today starts at verse 40, um, but before that I want to back up just a little bit and look briefly at where we left off. Last week one of our leaders, Dan Christensen, was up here teaching us from God's Word, and one of the points that he made at the end of our time together last Sunday was that Jesus' authority is grounded in his prayer life. And so as you look at verse 35, what we have is Jesus has gotten away from his all of his ministry and his teaching and his miracles and all that he's been doing, and he's gotten away by himself to connect with his Heavenly Father and spend time in prayer. And so his authority that God has given to him is grounded in his prayer life. And after he does this, spends time with God, what happens next? His followers, his disciples come to him and say, where have you been? Everybody is looking for you. You've been teaching and they've been impressed. You've been doing these miracles and healings and people are so stoked. They want to talk to you. They want to see you. They want to be with you. They want to follow you. Everyone is looking for you. And I want to look at Jesus' response, because there are lots and lots of needs in the world, aren't there? If you are serving in ministry, if you serve Jesus by serving other people, which is all of you that are followers of Jesus, ministry never ends. There's more hurting people, there's more good news to be taught. There's more pointing people to Jesus. There's more logistics that need to happen to help a local church run. Ministry never ends. The needs go on and on, right? So if we continue reading our passage, how did Jesus respond when they said, everyone's looking for you? So Jesus stayed and attended to every person's every need. A couple nervous chuckles. Good, because if you've got your finger in the text, that's not what the Bible says. And we're actually kind of surprised by what the Bible says. They say, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus goes... I gotta go. I'm out. I'm going to the next town. And the two things I want to mention about this is number one, Jesus is focused on the mission his father has given him. There's a lot of good needs. There's a lot of important people in that, that he loves. There's a lot of ministry things that could be done, but Jesus is focused on number one, what God sent him to do, even though it means not every need, need is met. And you know what number, my number two observation about that is? Is a lot of relief for me and other leaders in our church. Because if the capital S shepherd, the good shepherd, can't meet every need, then this little S shepherd can't try to either. And our elders can't meet every need, and our staff team can't meet every need. But you know what? 
Ministry is a team sport. We got elders, we got staff. We've got each of you that's a Holy Spirit-empowered minister of the gospel of Jesus. A church family is a team, a family. We, My job, when I was hired a couple months ago, and I came, and I'm new if you didn't know that, I didn't get hired to do all the ministry for you. I came to encourage you and equip you and help you to see that you can serve Jesus near and far. You with me? So Jesus moves on to carry on his mission. All right. That was just a little, that was just extra for fun. Now we're at verse 40. Now we're ready to start. You ready to go? Yeah. Really? Are you ready? Yeah. I need you to buckle up because I'm excited about the passage today. I got a lot to say, so I'm going to talk real fast. No, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Now we're at verse 40. I want to get to these two men that I mentioned earlier. These two men that have been changed by Jesus. First of all, I'll stand over on this side of the stage for the representing the one story. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 40, we meet a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to Jesus. Leprosy was a gnarly skin disease. And if it wasn't leprosy itself, in this passage, it was something, some disease that was troublesome. Okay, and the other story we're looking at today, chapter 2, Chapter 2, verse 3 tells us who else came to Jesus in our passage this morning. Chapter 2, verse 3, some men came, this is what we saw in the video, bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. So what do these two have in common? Well, the obvious thing at first is a physical ailment. There's there's some kind of problem or disease that they're suffering from. And what do we, what do you and I have in common with the leper and the paralytic. Well, first of all, some of you jumps right to mind, I relate to the physical ailment or to the suffering. Too many of us are, are, have, have injuries and ailments and, and disease and, and not just physical pain and suffering, but I know many of you are having other things going on in life that are hard, there's setbacks, that are trials, that are difficulties, things that we need help with, right? And so these men came to Jesus. Um, at this point, it's interesting to just let you know that it, um, that it was really kind of an ancient understanding in these days, or, or maybe a misunderstanding. Uh, it's very possible that these two men, the leper and the paralyzed man, it's very possible that they considered their suffering to be a result of sin. Because that was an understanding at the time. And if they didn't think that they were suffering because of their sin, it's quite possible that almost everyone around them did blame their suffering for uh, their sin. But let's see what Jesus says about the link between sin and suffering. On the screen, you'll see uh, John chapter 5, verse 14. This is uh, Jesus after he's healed a disabled person by the pool. He's just healed this disabled person, and he later says to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. It would seem to imply, that potentially tying the two together, it would seem to imply that his sin, his bad choices, had contributed to his suffering, or could in the future. But I, I will say, per, perhaps particularly, 
that our bad choices, our sinful choices, may have consequences. But does that mean necessarily that all our suffering is the result of sin? Jesus also said, this is also on the screen, chapter 9, verse 3, now Jesus is speaking about the man born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Sometimes we don't want to say, sometimes we want to pin suffering on people's sin because we don't want to put suffering on our great God. But you know what? Our great God is big and he can handle it. And everything that happens in our world, in our lives, comes across God's desk. Nothing happens by accident. It's not like he didn't see. Oops, that happened to him. Suffering does not always result from our sin. Sometimes, Jesus indicated, our bad choices might contribute to our, sin, to our suffering. Other times, our suffering has nothing to do with our sin. And all the time, you and I don't know. So quit telling people why something's happening to them. Because we don't know. Now you know what's neat about this? I'm going to insert this here. I didn't plan on this. But I got to sit in on, on a class this morning. Dan Christensen's teaching through 1 Peter. And this very topic came up. And you know what I love? I love that about studying God's Word. And let me take a minute to encourage you that you need to study the entirety of the Council of Scripture. Sometimes we pick verses we like. Sometimes we pick books of the Bible that we're comfortable with. Sometimes we take whole sections of the Bible, maybe the first two-thirds, and think, eh. But i got to urge you, as a follower of Jesus, to study the whole Council of Scripture, because I'm in Mark. I just put verses in John. I was in a Peter, I was in a class about 1 Peter, and as we study God's word in its entirety, we will see what God has to say. Are you with me? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Instead of depending on somebody on TV or some book or something or just your own personal opinion, interpret the Bible. Especially when we can study the whole counsel of Scripture, we have an opportunity for the Bible to interpret the Bible. With me? And that's why we at Faith Free we keep our finger in the text. Because I want you to learn from here, not from me. Okay. Alright, so whether these men, the leper and the paralyzed men, whether or not what was going on in their lives was related to sin, what we know is they were both sinners, right? Like you and me. They had physical problems, but they also had sin problems, like all humans do. And that's where we, what we have in common with them. And, and this disease, in the, in the case of the leper, this disease is really a vivid picture of sin disease. Think about what's going on in, with his physical condition. Sin is like that. Sin, like disease, has a subtle beginning. Oh, just a little thing here and there. It just started. But it has destructive power to gain momentum and lead to really big trouble. What we have in common with the leper and the paralytic is that we are all sin sick. We are all suffering from the disease 
of sin. Our sin is our rebellion against God, our going against his ways. And just like the leper and the paralytic were outcasts from society and, and, uh, and, and they were excluded from full participation in their world, they were even excluded because of their disease, they were even excluded from full participation in worshiping God. Our sin does that to you and I. Our sin causes us to be alienated from God. When we don't believe Him, when we don't trust Him, when we don't obey Him, when we go against God, it causes a break in the relationship because we are all sin sin. But the Bible reveals that Jesus is the cure. Jesus has the cure. Jesus is the cure. So let's continue reading about these two men and see how uh, what they find in Jesus. If you look there in the end of chapter 1, the man with leprosy comes to Jesus seeking help. And the way he does it, the way he approaches Jesus there at the end of chapter 1, you can tell that he is believing that Jesus can help, even knowing it. The way he approaches Jesus, he knows Jesus can help. You know what? He's not, he's not totally sure if Jesus will be willing. Oh. But he discovers that Jesus was willing to heal and did heal. Change his circumstances dramatically. So when we come to Jesus in need of healing, does he always put things right? Unfortunately not. And I want to assure you, those that have suffered or are suffering, that Unanswered prayer doesn't mean lack of faith. Followers of Jesus, go to him. Ask him. Pray. Expect healing. But he heals. Sometimes he doesn't. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. His purposes are different than our purposes. But I know that God loves you. That he's in control. That he's working. That he's transforming. And that all things that happen are for his glory, and our good, whether he heals you or not. Followers of Jesus, as we've been studying the, the, this book of Mark, what have we been saying the past several weeks? That followers of Jesus do what? Follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And in the case of the scripture this morning, there's awesome reasons to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus because only Jesus can heal, forgive, and rescue. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus because he's the only one that's worth following. He's the only one that can help us in the middle of all that we've got going on. So, what about chapter 2? What happens to these guys when they come to Jesus? When they carry their paralyzed friend to Jesus? Chapter 2, verse 5. Hopefully you've still got your finger in the Bible there. Chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? We don't expect that necessarily. We think, wait a second, the paralyzed man must be coming to Jesus to get, his, to get healed physically. But then Jesus' first words to him are, Son, your sins are forgiven. You kind of wonder, like, was he disappointed? <laughs> That's not why I came. But maybe that's just the silly way that I think. Maybe the paralyzed man wasn't surprised. Maybe the paralyzed man knew, that's what I really need. 
That's what I really need more than my physical condition. And that's what we see in this passage is that Jesus goes first to what matters most. Jesus goes to heal what matters eternally. Before he gets to our temporary physical condition, Jesus heals the matter of the heart. And we think sometimes, don't we? I mean, see if you're, see if you're with me. I, I'll speak for myself. I sometimes just think and pray, and I need my troubles, my suffering to go away. We talked about it this morning in the class, too. Our preferred dealing with suffering would be to get out of it as quickly as possible. But what we really need is forgiveness of sin. What we need is for Jesus to reconcile us with our great God. And so that's what Jesus addresses first. Son, your sins are forgiven. So, now saying that, Jesus says this, this huge claim. Your sins are forgiven. What's the reaction to those words? Well, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, in our video, kind of gave us a picture of this grumbling disagreement, right? Of, of uh, those listening saying, he's a blasphemer. He's pretending to be God. He can't say that kind of stuff. He can't forgive sins. Well, you know what? They're right. That forgiving sins is God territory. The forgiveness of sin is God territory. So either, one of two things here. Either he's a blasphemer pretending to be God, or Jesus is the God-man. And then verse 8. Immediately, oh, read this. Talk about the God-man. You want to know who this guy is? Listen to this. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. Guys, the video wasn't accurate to this version of scripture. The video, the Pharisees, the guys on the side of the room talk out loud. Forgive sin. Right? According to this, they thought it. The God-man heard it. Why are, Jesus says to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier for me to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I don't know about you, but every time I read that, I get confused, so I have to slow down and read it like six times and go, what? What does Jesus mean by which is easier to say? Well, think about it this way. What's easier to prove? If he's a fake, your sins are forgiven. How do we know if he's right or wrong? So what's easier for him to say is, your sins are forgiven. Because we can't prove it. We can't prove whether he did or didn't. So what does Jesus do? He ties together his words about forgiveness with the miracle he's about to do. Verse 10. But that you may know that I, the Son of Man, have authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the, so in other words, I'm going to say this, so you see that I have authority to forgive sins. 
So I'm going to turn to the paralyzed man, Jesus says, verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the paralyzed man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This is a powerful demonstration of God's power. This healing proves that God's power and authority are with Jesus, the God-man. And if God's power and authority are with Jesus, the God-man, then guess who can forgive sins? Jesus, the God-man. We're all sin-sick, but Jesus is the cure. Jesus brings forgiveness. So, why do we study this? Why do we spend time in God's Word each Sunday morning? Why would the stories of the leper and the paralyzed man be in the pages of your Bible? I think they're examples to us. I think we need to know about these two men and their experience with Jesus and their experience being changed by Jesus and think to ourselves and ask ourselves and ask God to show us what does this have to do with me? Because I think these men are examples to us. And the first way they're an example is that we must put our trust in Jesus alone. They needed help, so they came to Jesus. And you and I need help every day, whether you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you are a follower of Jesus, we need help every day, and we need to come to Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus because only Jesus can heal, forgive, and rescue. He is the one that can heal. He is the one that can put our relationship back right with God. There is nothing more worthwhile on this side of heaven than seeking, needing, and following Jesus. Do you know that? If you're already a follower of Jesus, uh, if you're already a follower of Jesus, keep following. Lean into him. Depend on him. Rely on him as he continues to work in your life. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants to know you. I think the reason you're sitting in the chair this morning is because he's pursuing you. He's revealing himself to you. He wants to know you. He wants to heal, forgive, and rescue you. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I urge you to put your trust in him and find new life in him. And what else are the example of the leper and the paralyzed man in our life? Followers of Jesus, we need to follow Jesus. But followers of Jesus, as we are changed and growing in Jesus, the other thing that we are going to do as we are experiencing new and transformed life, followers of Jesus, we are going to point other people to Jesus. And that's what, that's what happens through God's word, our scripture passage this morning. Followers of Jesus lead others to Jesus because we want others to have what we have found, right? If we have found the good news of Jesus' rescuing, transforming grace and forgiveness, then how could we not possibly want to point others to that glorious good news and to life in him? How do we do that? How do we how should we go about, with what attitude should we go about leading others to Jesus? How, with what kind of effort, with what kind of, uh, you know, 
How hard are we going to work at it? Well, I think that the great thing about this passage, that I love teaching this passage, is that I think in order to lead others to Jesus, I think we should go through the roof. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that phrase? Normally that phrase has negative connotations, right? Oh, Pastor Derek just went through the roof. <laughs> it usually has to do with angry. You got so mad, I went through the roof! That's not good. But through the roof in this passage has really good results. And I want to learn from the leper and the paralyzed man who came to Jesus and then want others to know Jesus. I want to learn from them by going through the roof. Chapter 2, verse 2. Still got your finger there in the Bible? Chapter 2, verse 2. So many people were gathered that there was no room left where Jesus was teaching. Not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by the four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat that Jesus was lying on. Then we go, hmm. Mark, Mark uses so few words here. And we have heard it. If you've been in around church for some time, you've probably heard the story once or twice. And so we read verse 4 like that. Well, you go through the roof, okay, it's found Jesus. Wait a second. Did you see what was in there? They got to a room where Jesus was teaching, and it was so packed with people, they couldn't get in. It wasn't a room this big. But imagine so many people packed in here and flowing out the doors that they couldn't get in. Oh well, this is tough, so, eh, forget it. Sorry buddy, you're out of luck. Let's take him back home. No, didn't do that. They saw this obstacle, they saw all these people, they saw this situation where Jesus was blocked, their path to Jesus was blocked. And instead of reading verse 4 really fast and just thinking, hey, I've seen this before, let's look at verse 4 and, and imagine ourselves there. This is one of my favorite tips for you as a follower of Jesus, by the way. As you study the Bible, put yourself there. Because Mark uses a lot, of, just only a few words here, but if we put ourselves in here and imagine the situation, um, it's really helpful. Look at the effort that his four friends take. Look at the determination they have to get him to Jesus. Look at the, the creativity. I would have thought of using a door. I might have said, excuse me, as my first method. I might have said, tried shouting from outside the door. These guys saw the stairs, went up to the roof, and we're not talking about like a paper tent roof. We're talking about an ancient home with a mud thatch, and even one gospel account even says tiles, and our account says the guys were doing what to get through it? Digging! They dug through the roof! I mean, this is crazy to picture. Lost my spot. And I think as, as, as modern readers now, we sit in here, we read this story, we try to imagine ourselves in this room, packed, Jesus is teaching, it's so packed with people, there's people out the door. And then, so we start thinking about, like, what would that have been like? So they start digging through the roof. So if we were here this morning, and it was so packed, and I was teaching, and someone started digging through the roof. I mean, in the video, the rubble falls on the guy's head, right? 
So we can't help but wonder stuff like, well, did Jesus have to stop teaching? I mean, I'm picturing how I can't get, keep your guys' attention for half an hour without the roof being dug through. <laughs> but I'm not a God man, so I am. I just do my best. The God man is teaching these people, and someone's digging through the roof. I'm just kind of picturing Jesus like, okay, I'll just wait this out because they're not going to be watching me. They're looking at the ceiling. And we wonder questions like, well, man, who's going to pay for that? <laughs> Whose house is that? I'm ticked. This is the kind of things that come to our head when we read this story. And you know what? Mark doesn't answer any of those. Mark doesn't tell us what the house's owner thought. Mark doesn't tell us, uh, you know, if Jesus stopped teaching. Mark doesn't tell us if all the people were distracted by the roof caving in. Because you know why? I think Mark just wants us to know one thing. I think Mark just wanted us to know that followers of Jesus point other people to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can heal, forgive, and save. I think his friends were so convinced that Jesus was the answer to their friend's problem that they did whatever it took to get to Jesus. And they were right to do it. <laughs> Would I have come up with that plan? Would I have been bold enough to follow through? I don't know. But Jesus is worth the effort. And think of that guy's friends. Do we have friends like that? Do we put ourselves in relationships with other followers of Jesus so that they will take us to Jesus? Not just the first time we need to meet Jesus, but every day when we need Jesus, do we have friends that will take us to Jesus? Are, am I that kind of friend to others? Followers of Jesus lead other people to Jesus because Jesus is the one. And our passage has even more to say about our journey as followers of Jesus. Uh, let's look over here back to the story of Jesus and the leper. Chapter 1, verse 43. <clears throat> Jesus sent him away. Wait, what happened here? He just healed the leper of his disease. Verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. There's a lot we could talk about in there, but for the sake of time, here's what I want to talk about about that. Jesus just gave him instructions, didn't he? Jesus said, I want you to, here, I just healed you. I want you to respond to this healing in this way. I want you to go and show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices. Jesus gave him instructions. But did you notice how Jesus gave him the instructions? Did that sound very Jesus-like? It was a little startling if, if you heard how I read it, but it's how it's written. Look how it's on the screen. Look how Jesus gave him those instructions. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. The language there, strong warning, it, it can also mean scolded harshly or he admonished him. And actually the I forget what the word is, you know, any language people would know, but like the roots there is like snorted like a horse. Jesus snorted. Anybody own a horse? Anybody want to make the sound of a snorting horse for me? Here's one thing you pay your pastor for. This morning I actually Googled horse snort sound. 
and watched YouTube videos of <sighs> Jesus scolded him, sent him away. <laughs> Why? That doesn't sound like Jesus meek and mild, Jesus calm, loving, compassionate guy. I think it's because Jesus means business. And I want us to have a vision, a perception of Jesus that's different than just always only gentle shepherd with the lamb on his shoulder. That's a good image of Jesus. It's a true image of Jesus. But it's not the only one. Here's an image of Jesus where he knows what this man's about to do and he gives him specific instructions and he does it in this way <sighs> because he means business. He knows the man's about to disobey him. I think Jesus cares too much about you and I to let us go do whatever we want. I think Jesus loves us so much that he expects obedience, that he knows what's best for us. He says, <sighs> because he doesn't want, he wants holiness, he doesn't want foolishness. Jesus knows what's best for us, so he sternly warns him, <sighs> because he means business. And sometimes being nice isn't nice. Sometimes I think we need more than gentle lamb on the shoulder of Jesus. Sometimes I need a kick in the pants. Sometimes I need a horse snort. Sometimes being nice isn't nice. And even as we lead others to Jesus or lovingly confront fellow Christians who are sinning, maybe the loving thing to do is to Because we mean business. The leper's disobedience had consequences. In verse 45, we see that because he just went out and blabbed all over the place, that now Jesus was so popular, he couldn't even go to certain places. Jesus expects us to obey him, friends. Jesus is good shepherd, gracious, kind, loving, Merciful, But friends, Jesus is also Lord of Lords, King of Kings, our God and our Rescuer. So we're called to obedience. We're not called to be perfect. I mess up, you're going to mess up. When we do, we go before the Lord, we receive forgiveness. But we're called to obedience. We're called to grow. To know him more and more. But don't miss this part. It's God's work to transform you. God will change you. God will make you more like Jesus. But I think we have an opportunity to cooperate. And I think obedience is cooperating. Jesus expects us to obey. But you know what else is really good news? Jesus also enables us to obey. We're not on our own, trying really hard to match up, trying really hard to be a good person. Oh, if I just please Jesus, oh, if I can just obey all these things he said. No, followers of Jesus, God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives within you and is empowering you, enabling you to obey. And 
and to live for Jesus' glory. You know, one of the things we want to obey around here is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says to his disciples then and to all of us today, Jesus says, make disciples. In other words, one of the main things that Jesus said before he left and went back into heaven, one of the main things he wanted us to know, you and I this morning, one of his commands to us is to make disciples. In other words, you followers of Jesus need to help other people follow Jesus who can make other people follow Jesus who can lead other people to Jesus. He commanded that. And, I, and a mentor of mine says there's three responses to the Great Commission. There's three possible responses to the Great Commission. We go, we obey and go, or we send, we send others, we support financially and prayerfully, we send others to go. And by the way, that doesn't get us off the hook on going. Even if God doesn't send you and you don't go to the far reaches of the world, you need to go to your next door neighbor, to your coworker, to your fellow student. We obey the Great Commission by going. We obey the Great Commission by sending. Or the third possible response to the Great Commission? Disobey. Go, send, or disobey. The Uganda team, in a few weeks, will obey by going. And in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, you and I, their church family, will have an opportunity to obey by sending. By prayerfully and financially supporting their obedience. So we've got the example of, of the leper who disobeyed Jesus, and we saw what the result of that was. What happens when we do what Jesus says? Back to chapter 2, verse 11. Let's imagine ourselves there. What happens when Jesus says something, gives an instruction, and we obey? Chapter 2, verse 11. I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Father God, we need you. Father God, we love you. We are thankful that you have given us the opportunity to hear from you in your word. Heavenly Father, thanks for being a God who has come near to us. We so need your help. We are all sin sick, but you sent Jesus, the one who can heal, forgive, and obey, and, and, and rescue. Father, help us to be followers of Jesus who come to you for help. Father, help us to be followers of Jesus who bring others to you for help. God, use us. We, we're scared. We're nervous. Sometimes we don't think we know the right words. Or, but God, fill us with your love in such a way that your love would overflow out of our lives. And that your love would reach others through us so that we would have the opportunity Point them to new life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we have an opportunity now to respond to what God is doing in a, in a few different ways. So let me just give you a quick glimpse of what's ahead here in the last few minutes together as we wind up our morning together. As God works in us through his word, as we hear from his word, as we want to 
be changed as we want to respond in obedience. Here are some opportunities you have in the next few minutes to respond. We, of course, have the opportunity to respond through lifting our voices. The team continues to lead us in worship and music. I invite you to respond to what God is doing by lifting your voices. And in a moment, the ushers will come, and, they, and we will receive this morning's offering. And that is another way that as followers of Jesus, we give back to what God to God what he has blessed us with. And so as the ushers come, we have an opportunity to do what the Bible teaches in giving generously and cheerfully. And we're also this morning going to have an opportunity to respond to what God is doing by sharing in the Lord's Supper together. There's four tables, two up in the front, two in the back of the room. And there you will find the cracker and the juice that represent the, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for you on the cross. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're with us this morning, we invite you to come to the table to take to receive the cracker and the juice and use that as an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus has done for you. The way that God has demonstrated his love for you through the death, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So those are the opportunities we have. Let's lift our voices, let's give our gifts, and let's share in the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray. Father, Help us to respond to you. Seek what you want to do in our lives this morning. We want to worship you in every way. Amen.